Hello, welcome along to the Fun Kids Science Weekly. You've found the greatest podcast in the history of the universe. My name's Dan. Thanks for listening. Thanks for following us too. This week, we're looking at one of the scariest looking beasts in the ocean. Also, you can hear about the biggest rocket ever. It's being built right now. And I've got your questions, as always, the ones that you leave as reviews over on Apple Podcasts. This week, it's on sleep, germs, and purrs, too. We'll get to those after we travel to the smartest school outside of the solar system. This is Deep Space High. Deep Space High. Space for all. Show me the door, and travel to Deep Space High. The school is space. But hurry, because lessons are about to begin. Morning, class. Right, who can remind us what we've learned about careers in space? Sam? That it's not all about rocket scientists and that space is for everyone? Correct. Although rocket scientists are important if you want to get off the ground. So today, um, tricks. Why don't you get us started by telling us what your favourite subject is and we'll see how you might turn your skills to the stars. Well, my favourite subject is English. I especially love writing stories, but space is more about facts, I guess, not fiction. English is integral to space exploration, and fiction has its place too. We need great science communicators, people who can describe and report on missions and discoveries in a way that makes other people keen to know more, especially young people who might want to work in space themselves. Oh, that's like that magazine we get, Andromeda Express. It's full of the latest cool mission news and spacecraft. I guess someone had to write the articles in it. That's right, but there's an even more exciting way writers are part of space exploration. Anyone a fan of science fiction books or movies? Me, sir. You mean films like Star Trek with Captain Kirk and Spock on the Starship Enterprise? Or Ready Player One, that film where everyone lives in virtual reality? Yep. Science fiction is where the writer imagines what life might be like in the future, sometimes on Earth, sometimes on other planets. But it's only imagining, isn't it? How does that help? Let's see. Computer sim, Paramount Studios, USA. The original Star Trek TV series in the 1960s showed characters using small devices to communicate with each other, which led to the invention of the first mobile phone, because the inventor, Martin Cooper, was a fan of the show and was inspired by the idea. Next, computer sim Blade Runner, a movie set in a future America where robots live alongside humans. We're in a self-driving car. That's right. This film came out in 1982, many years before such a thing was invented for real life. It existed in the writer's imagination all those years before. One more sim, hold on to your hats. Whoa! We're rushing towards Earth at 100 miles an hour. Actually, we're inside Google Earth, an app that lets you zoom in on anywhere on Earth. It's said the designers got the idea from a science fiction book called Snow Crash. Oops, getting a bit too close now. End sim. For you. People who are expert communicators can tell the stories of what we're doing in space and what we might do in the future. Inspiring real missions and technology is more powerful than you think. There's even a saying, the pen is mightier than the sword. Bit difficult to do your homework with a sword, though. <laughs> science fiction has even changed the language we use. 
Did you know that the words robotics, cyberspace, zero gravity, gas giant, avatar and computer virus were all coined by science fiction writers? No way! So Sam, you were struggling to think about things you like to do. Maybe you'd like to write an exciting science fiction story. I think I'd prefer to read them. Or actually, just watch a movie. (laughs) There must be something you like to do, other than as little as possible. Never mind, Sam. Our search will continue. Learning how whatever your interests, space is a place for all. All right, class dismissed. Beam me up, Scotty. Deep Space High, space for all. With support from the UK Space Agency. Find out more at funkislive.com slash space. If there's a question in your head, something rattling away in there that you just can't figure out, you need it sorted, it's driving you around the bend, I can do that for you. You just need to leave your science questions as a review for me over on Apple Podcasts. Find the Fun Kids Science Weekly. Leave them there. That's what Freddie's done. He says, why do we sleep? Here's the thing, Fred. Scientists don't absolutely know for sure. It's a strange thing when you think about sleep, isn't it? Especially how humans have evolved. I mean, we're really comfortable now in our beds, but way back, thousands of years ago, we'd be sleeping in caves and wild animals would be out to attack us. And when that was happening, we'd switch off for a few hours every day, which would make us quite vulnerable. Now, experts think it's to let our brains and bodies recharge, to give you time to recover, to make new cells, and to grow too. Also, they think it's a chance for your brain to be cleared of waste. Your brain builds up waste chemicals that can make you foggy, it can slow you down, and sleep helps you get rid of that. And also, it gives you time to understand what's happened to you recently to try and make sense of it. But really, Freddie, we're not absolutely sure. Something to look into. Thanks for the question. This one is from Matteo, who says, How does the body react to germs? It's all about your immune system. It's the army, the defence inside your body. Now, the front line of the immune system tries to stop germs getting into your body. It tries to stop them straight away at source by quickly reacting, by flushing them out. That's why you, uh, that's why you sneeze. That's why you, uh, you cough sometimes as well. You're trying to get rid of this stuff. Now, if something does get in, that's when your white blood cells step up. These are the defender cells. As soon as they see something they don't recognize, they attack. They pretty much beat down and eat the germ and bacteria that's got into your body. That's what's happening with, uh, with vaccines. It's training your immune system to know how to deal with germs and bacteria and viruses that might get into your body. It's giving them a little warning, a little taste of what's to come so they can be ready and instantly know, hopefully, how to try and flush out anything bad that gets inside you. Thank you for the question, Matteo. Uh, lastly, it's from uh, oh Cheetah Playlist. <laughs> what do you reckon they ask about? Why do cheetahs purr instead of roar? Now, small cats, like my cat, Tiggy, who's sleeping behind me, uh, they purr because of a bone they've got in their mouth. It's called the hyoid. It supports the tongue and something called the larynx. The larynx is kind of what makes the sound in, in in your throat. Now, in small cats, this bone, this hyoid, stays still. It's fixed. It's rigid. It doesn't move. So it vibrates really stiffly. And it makes this low purr. 
Now, in most big cats, it's a bit more flexible, which is why they can roar. It's flexible in all big cats apart from the cheetah. It's uh, fixed. It stays still in them too. So they purr and they can't roar. Thank you for the question, cheetah playlist. I hope... I hope you love your cheetahs. Keep loving your cheetahs. Thanks for that. If you've got something for the Science Weekly next week, uh, let me know over on Apple Podcasts. It's the Fun Kids Science Weekly. Now, I have been amazed at the Olympics. I'm sure you have too. And wondering about all the training these athletes must be doing, the food that they eat, the work that they do. It turns out, though, that something so much simpler is making a huge impact for them. It's just breathing. Just breathing in, breathing out. To find out more, Nevsa Karamema is an international breathing science expert, the founder of Breath Hub, and she joins us now. Nevsa, just start off by telling us this in really like simple terms. What's happening inside us when we're breathing? Why do we do it? Why do we do it? Of course, for energy, respiration. We need respiration for energy reasons because we get most of our energy from breathing. We do eat, we do drink. But even though you don't eat or don't drink, you can just get your energy purely from breathing. So it's our main energy force. So what's happening? So I'm taking a big breath in. I'm taking air in. What's happening to the oxygen and all the other gases when I've when I've, I've taken it into my yeah. lungs. So what's really happening is if you can imagine the lungs like kind of like a tree, which is upside down. At the end of the lungs, there are air sacs, millions of air sacs. So every time we breathe, every time our respiratory system works, we get in air, carbon dioxide, oxygen. Our body don't, don't only need oxygen. It needs carbon dioxide and all the other gases as well. So we breathe in all those gases and all those gases go back into air sacs in the body, in the lungs, just underneath the lungs. The air sacs are filled with air and then it is by the arteries in the body. It is mainly um, taken on to the uh, cells and to give us energy, to give us food. It's kind of like the food our cells need. So we breathe in and with our with the arteries, we get all the oxygen and the carbon dioxide to the cellular level. And we have uh, oxygen, we have energy, we then can regenerate our cells and we can stay young and healthy. So that's what's happened when we breathe in. What's going on when we breathe out, Nevsa? So how does that cycle finish when we're taking stuff away from ourselves? Well, what happens is when we breathe, we get in all those gases and those gases are distributed around the body with our blood. So the gases in the air sacs go into the arteries, into the bloodstream and through the bloodstream to all our cells and all our organs. And from them out, when we breathe out, all of the excess gas we don't need, we breathe that out. And that basically, uh, the, the most important thing about respiration is, is it regulates our body fluid pH. So our body fluid pH is... Uh, regulated by our respiratory system. That's what mainly happens when we breathe in and when we breathe out. Now, we've been watching the Olympics recently and just looking at all these incredible athletes. And I spoke earlier about how many of us think that it's just the work they do in the gym. It's just what they're eating. But so much of it is breathing. Why is... Why are... What... what how does breathing make a difference to an athlete? Why can it make one athlete better than another? 
Yeah, it makes a huge, huge difference because the thing is when we're doing sports, especially professional sports, our body releases too much lactic acid. For you to be able to keep on doing sports, especially if you are performing, you need to have a very, very healthy breathing habit because you need that respiratory system to work, to rest the respiratory reflexes to kick in so that you can balance the lactic acid in the body. If your body can't can't regulate the lactic acid due to bicarbonate, I don't want to go into too much scientific detail. So I'm kind of like thinking, how do I explain all this thing? Basically, <laughs> so what happens is our body releases bicarbonates to compensate the acidity in our body. And when we're doing sports, we have too much acid in our body and our respiratory chemistry basically regulates the bicarbonate. So what happens if we don't have healthy breathing habits, we, our body don't have enough bicarbonates to compensate the lactic acid. And then we feel out of breath. You might even faint when doing sports if you're not breathing healthy. That's why healthy breathing, especially being able to use diaphragm fully, that's why many professional athletes work on performance breathing, work on learning performance breathing habits so that they can perform better they can breathe better, they can breathe more and compensate lactic acid immediately so that they can have more endurance, they can more have they can have more re- uh, resilience and they can keep on doing sports for longer periods of time. So what that means is when you're out, when you're out running and you start feeling tired, your muscles are aching, it's because your body's making this lactic acid. Now, to, to stop you feeling that, your body also makes these things bicarbonates. And if you are better at breathing, if you're fitter like that, you're much better at making these bicarbonates. Now, um, Nevsa, you're, you're a breath expert, founded the Breath Hub. What can we do right now to make us better at breathing? You mentioned these performance breathing techniques. Yeah. So what we can do is doing conscious daily breath work activities is very important. Like all exercise types, breath work exercises is very important for our health, especially if you're uh, practicing professional sports. What anybody can do is download Breath Hub app. We have more than a thousand breath work sessions. We have a separate part for kids. We have sessions for kids only, beautiful sessions, hundreds of them. And anybody can start practicing breath work by using our app how bad is it to practice holding your holding your breath holding breath is actually kind of like an art it's it's very important for the body to be able to hold the breath and people who do practice breath work exercises can hold the breath actually holding the breath uh, triples the oxygen take in the brain so we literally take 300% more oxygen when we hold our breath. The longer you can hold your breath, the better, because then oxygen literally rushes into the brain. But to, to be able to hold our breath, we need to have a healthy breathing habit because you can't hold on, hold your breath long if you don't have enough oxygen and carbon dioxide already existing in your body. So if you have a daily healthy breathing habit, you can hold on to your inhale and exhale longer. But if you don't have a healthy breathing habit, you can't. And like we also work with professional divers from all around the world and we practice breathwork sessions with them so that they can hold their breath for longer periods of time. You need to have a really, really healthy lung. You need to have healthy lungs and a healthy breathing habit to be able to hold your breath for long periods. 
Now, on my my like health watch that I've got that tells me when I'm running, when I'm walking, it's got something called VO2 max. Uh, what does that mean? VO2 max is the maximum oxygen level and maximum air air intake in your body. So it's kind of like the max, maximum level of your lungs. We have different intakes, like we have different capacities. It's your uh, lung capacity, let me say. Mine is 58. Is that good? Yeah, that's good. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Uh, awesome. Nevsa Karamamet, thank you so much from the Breath Hub International Breathing Science Expert. Thanks so much for telling us more on the show. Thank you. Now, this week's Dangerous Dan is a terrifying titan under the sea. The Japanese spider crab is the world's largest crab. They can measure almost four meters across with their long, spindly legs. That is huge. It's pretty much as long as, like, the roof of your house is high. And it's got pincers on the end of two of them, too. In males, those pincers are huge. They're bright orange with white dots along the legs... Its shell is bumpy, which lets them blend into the seabed. It's not the only way they disguise themselves. They pick up smaller creatures and plants from the ocean floor and wear them to make them appear just like the seabed. Now, they mainly come out at night, avoiding big predators and creeping up on prey. Uh, Thing is, this dangerous dan, it doesn't eat humans. It's mainly a scavenger. So it feasts on dead creatures that it finds in the sea. But I mean, it is massive. If you're unsure how terrifying this is, find a picture. It is humongous. It makes a human look tiny. You wouldn't want to see a Japanese spider crab up close. And for that, it has to go on our dangerous Dan list. We're travelling back through time now to meet some more deadly beasts with the age of the dinosaurs. Age of the Dinosaur with Dinosaur Action Magazine, the number one mag for dino fans. Welcome to the Cretaceous period, which existed between 65 and 144 million years ago. The world by this point was home to a wider variety of environments and species than ever before, and different species behaved in different ways, some preferring to live on their own others liking the company of the herd. Uh-oh, let's hide. We've got company. Don't panic. It's a herd of iguanodons. They're plant eaters and more interested in the vegetation around here. They have to be, as they need to consume the equivalent of 300 bananas every day. Iguanodon fossils have been found all over the world, which means they were a common sight in Cretaceous times. They reached up to 11 metres in length and were experts at stripping greenery and fruits off plants. Cool! Did you see? It looks like they have hands. That's true. Iguanodons could stand on their rear legs and use their hands to grasp vegetation, a task made easier by their flexible fifth finger move again. There they go! Bye! I like them! Fossils of many iguanodons have been found jumbled together in one place, which tells us that they moved in a herd with the adults likely to band together to protect the young from predators. But not all dinosaurs behaved this way. Yes, 
Look at that poor thing over there. Maybe he's lonely. Don't worry. That's a Pinacosaurus, with plates of armor all over his back and an enormous club on the end of his tail. He can look after himself. That tail is perfect for swinging at anyone who thinks he'd make a tasty dinner. Armored dinosaurs such as Pinacosaurus are known as ankylosaurs, meaning armored dinosaurs. They were plant eaters too, like the Iguanodontians. But in fossil finds, there is usually just one of them, so they probably lived and died alone. Look, another herd, and these seem in a hurry. Quick, duck and hide. It's a pack of velociraptors. These sneaky hunters are carnivores and can bring down animals much larger than us. Not only do they have razor-sharp teeth, deadly curved claws and an ability to run fast, they also have very large brains. They were believed to be intelligent enough to hunt together when necessary, outwitting their prey to tear it to pieces. That Pinacosaurus is flexing his tail ready. Quick, let's run! Paleontology, pick. Fossils have been part of the Earth for millions of years, and studying them is something paleontologists are experts at. Once larger rocks in an area have been cleared away, hammers, chisels and picks are used to tap at the earth around the fossil to loosen it further. These pieces of rock and earth are called the matrix. Then a series of brushes from stiff to soft are used for delicate work. If the fossil needs to be moved, it's often wrapped in a plaster cast to keep it safe. Just like the sort you would get if you broke your leg. The fine work of removing the remaining rock from the fossil then goes on back at the museum's laboratory. Age of the Dinosaur with Dinosaur Action Magazine, the number one mag for dino fans. Not long to go, by the way, just like a week or so, depending on when you're listening, until our very first live show, we're bringing the greatest podcast in the history of the universe to the stage so you can come and see us in front of your very eyes. Fun Kids Science Weekly Live is happening uh, on August the 27th. It is a Friday. It's happening in the afternoon in London as part of the Underbelly Festival. You can get your tickets right now on uh, the Fun Kids website. We'll do some experiments. We'll learn about the secrets of the universe. We'll have some genius experts there as well to answer your questions. The show will be about an hour long, so you can have a brilliant day out in London and then drop by and say hello. On August the 27th, it's a Friday. We'll get high fives, we'll get selfies, all of that, and you can get your tickets right now over at funkidslive.com. Let's get to this week's Science in the News Scientists have built a robot that can change colour like a chameleon. The team from the Seoul National University say it will be used as camouflage in the future, but also to make things look pretty and to help clothes and buildings blend into their surroundings. So soon you could be like a chameleon, what you wear could disguise itself. Also, terrible news, countries have been warned they are on the edge of extinction if things aren't done about climate change. 
A landmark UN report has said parts of the world could no longer keep life if we carry on. World leaders have said that this report it is a wake-up call to everyone to think about how they use fossil fuels. And finally, the biggest rocket ever is being built in Texas in America. Uh, SpaceX has built the upper Starship and the booster called Super Heavy. Together, they're putting them there. It's 120 meters high, and it will make twice the thrust of vehicles that have sent people to the moon in the past. And that is it for this week's Fun Kids Science Weekly. Get your tickets for our live show, August the 27th in London. Find out at funkidslive.com. Now, if you've got a question that you want answered on the show next week, something sciencey, it could be about anything. Today they were about purrs, sleeping, and your immune system. We covered all sorts. I'd love to hear what you want to figure out. Leave that as a review for me on Apple Podcasts. While you're there, you can get some of our brilliant science stuff too. We've got loads more podcasts there. They're on the free Fun Kids app and at funkidslive.com as well. And Fun Kids, we are a children's radio station from the UK. You can listen all around the country on your DAB digital radio on that free Fun Kids app and at funkidslive.com. <laughs>